This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. That's a pretty thrilling baseball series. Mm-hmm. Three straight one-run victories. Two of them coming in your final at bat. The third victory being aided by what was a pretty incredible play in the outfield. Oh, and by the way, it was the team that you're chasing in the wild card standings whom you're only a game and a half back. It was a kick-A's weekend. Absolute ah, kick-A's weekend here in Seattle. I see what you did there. They're 6-4 and four on the year against Oakland after taking 3-4. of four. They're not going to play them again until late August and then seven times over the last 10 games, I believe, at the end of September. So this is really, I think, good to establish, hey, this is a team that you're on the same level as, right? I mean, the Mariners and the A's, they are on the same playing field. Yes and no. Yes, the Mariners have shown that they're competitive with teams like this this year, and that should inform your decision-making. Not going forward, that should inform your decision-making in in the next week or two. And we'll talk about what that means and who they should pursue. No, in that the A's are a team that are built and expect to win now. The A's are a team that statistically are a better team than Seattle. I don't want to, I don't just want to, and and say, hey, you're not, the, the Mariners are chasing it, but run differential, like all the ways that you measure teams, the A's are a better team, yet the Mariners have been their measure this year, have been able to stack up against them, which is kind of the story of the Seattle season, in which you look at them, you're like, can they really do that? Are they really going to finish ahead of the Blue Jays and the Yankees in the American League standings? And right now they are. Right now they are, and you can't you can't discount that. They're 100 games in, but that was, you win on two wild pitches, wild pitch that scores Dylan Moore in the ninth, on Friday, a wild pitch that scores Jared Kelnick in in the ninth on Saturday. And then Sunday, you get four runs against some guy who referred to you as a team like that twice after a meeting in May. And you hold on to win that with the aid of, let's play the Jake Bowers throw. Like Jake Bowers with the throwback sunglasses, the Oakley Blade style look, absolute Terminator throw to, to get Matt Chapman running the third. Chapman gets a lead at first. Now the set by Steckenrider, and the pitch on the way, swinging a ground ball left side and through a wide open left side of the infield. Rounding second, heading for third is Chapman. The throw to third to Seager, and it's in time. What a throw by Bowers. Jake Bowers gets to the base hit in left center field, fires a strike to Kyle Seager at third. Chapman trying to go from first to third, is out at third base for the second out of the inning. What a throw. What a throw by Jake Bowers. Definitely not someone you're expecting to be gunning somebody out at third base, and yet there he was. That was a hell of a throw. It was a great throw. It's a terrible decision by Chapman. What was he thinking? I, I mean, my goodness, that guy's brain has broken this year, hasn't it? Between what he does at the plate and there? Come on. He started to hit a little more, and I get the idea of being aggressive, but the difference between being on second base with an out and third base with an out is so... There's, it's not enough to warrant taking that risk on a ball that was hit to left field. Bowers made a hell of a throw. Like it was, it was a really good throw, and the d- degree of difficulty is high because he's not throwing at a target. He doesn't have a. Du- Kyle Seeger was moving to third base because he was right. playing in the shift. He didn't have a guy that he was throwing to, and he couldn't have made a better throw. It was just, 
It's my favorite play in baseball. Like, we talk about that all the time. My favorite play from baseball is the throw from the outfield and getting a runner. I, I absolutely love it. And that when you see the replay, because you knew how close it was, and then you see the replay, and you're like, yeah, it was right before it. Dusted. That outfield assist is one of many moments we've seen this year that makes the 23-8 and record the Mariners have in one-run games make a little bit more sense. I still don't know if I can say that their record in these one-run situations, Danny, isn't flukish because, as you said, they won two games on past ground ball, on past balls this week. But at a certain point, I have to shut up, and and I'm going to throw some context out there. I guess if you're looking for a reason to look at that 23-8 and record in one-run games and actually use it as a feather in your cap, look at the two teams right now that you were most neck and neck with in the wild card race. First off, the A's, who puked away two games this weekend against you. Yep. Or the New York Yankees, who blew a four-run lead against the Boston Red Sox yesterday. Those teams seem to be finding ways to mess themselves down the stretch, and the Mariners, through a combination of good defense and a plus bullpen, have not done that. And they've got a lineup that doesn't quit. They've got a lineup that fights really hard. Some of that is the the eye that they're – I think as a team, they've got a really good eye. I, I, I think they're a team that doesn't chase a lot of pitches, that draws the blocks and makes people work for it. And if you give an opponent an opportunity to, to, to foul themselves, sometimes they will. Mm-hmm. And the A's did this weekend. Like, seriously. Like, that's the, – they don't give in. And the Saturday night, the wild pitch came when Mitch Hanniger was at the plate. And the fact that Mitch Hanniger had already homered a couple times, I think that probably loomed pretty large. In, in how they were pitching to him in in that situation with the bases loaded. So it's not flukish. I don't know how sustainable it is. But also, shout out to the bullpen. The Mariners' bullpen yeah. was awesome. The Mariners' bullpen has been awesome. Oh, and by the way, Rafael Montero no longer part of it. Like, he got his walking papers. Sadler came back. Rafael Montero is, 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 has hit the bricks. DFA, designated for assignment. The Mariners won three of four against the A's, and now the Astros come to town. And I I said it out. I was like, hey, you go four and three in this this homestand. If you go four and three in this homestand, you feel really good. Those are the two teams. You will have made up ground on one of those two teams. You will have made up ground on one of those two teams. And now you're looking at it in the possibility and and the chance that, okay, you might be able to steal you might be able to steal a couple. You might be able to have not just a good homestand, but a like sort of plant your flag kind of moment. And oh, by the way, it's coming as the trade deadline approaches. The Mariners have to be thinking about making additions. Yeah, and with the way that this series pans out, Yusuke Akuchi coming off that 12 strikeout performance this weekend on Wednesday is going to be going up against the Astros' Jake Odorizzi. You should have the advantage from a starting pitching matchup. Tonight's the weird game because... Houston's putting a young guy, Luis Garcia, on the mound, and you don't really know what you have in Darren McCoffin, but the first time that you saw him out there, he looked pretty good. Got McCacken out there. Is it McCacken? McCoffin? Okay, McCacken. McCacken. McCacken McCacken does not. Darren McCacken. No bullpen start to mess it up, or the, the, what is it, the opener. Last time it wasn't a bullpen start, it was an opener. They used it with Keenan Middleton that panned out. I mean, McCacken, you you got the toughest hitting team in the league coming here with with the Astros. Totally different operation than Oakland's little pop gun deal. We have seen one of the first trade deadline deals done. The Padres going and picking up Adam Frazier from the Pittsburgh Pirates. 
The Mariners were interested in Frazier. This was a report from Ken Rosenthal. And more tellingly, Rosenthal said they weren't asking Pittsburgh to pick up any of the salary. Like, they were willing to cover that. Uh, the, the the Padres ended up giving up a pretty good prospect um, in, in Tucupita Marcano, who is a m- middle infielder, potentially even a shortstop, that, that they see as a potential long-term fit for Frazier, who has this year and next year. Frazier, I believe, is leading the leading the National League in hits right now, hitting 327. But that means the Mariners' attention is probably going to shift to Whit Merrifield, who's a second baseman, can play some outfield for the, for the Royals, a guy that leads the American League in stolen bases. Does that excite you, Whit Merrifield? It's someone who would improve your roster. I don't know if it really excites me because I, I look at him as somebody that's a short-term piece, right? So, he'd be I, here for the next two years. He'd be okay. here for he's signed for twenty two and twenty three. Then on that side of things, okay. he doesn't hit for much power. But second base is one of the spots you don't really have anybody slotted in right now. Do you think Shed Long is your long term answer there? Dylan Moore, you kind of hoped would play his way into that this year, and and he hasn't really. Moore does some things, but Merrifield is a significantly better player than Dylan Moore, even even though he doesn't have much pop. I guess that's where I have the biggest question, Mark, because the rest of this year, I would think that Merrifield at second base makes sense, given that you've been putting Shed Long in the outfield a lot, and that hasn't been a problem for you. But if you are looking at the year after this, with the way that Long has hit since coming back from injury, don't you want to see what maybe a full season of Long would be, or do you want him to compete next year for that second base spot? His average is still pretty low. I I think there's been he does have he does have some power. I, Merrifield's a better player than Shed Long, and I would be reasonably confident that Merrifield's going to play ahead of Shed Long the next couple of years. But that might be something there. The Mariners do have some pieces to trade. Kyle Seager is someone who maybe said as bluntly as anybody that, yeah, it's about winning and we've got a shot to win right now. And you hope that you get that belief and that, that statement. So we'll see. I I would expect the Mariners certainly to be making some additions this week leading up to the trade deadline right now. It's time to get you to front page news. This, this is the front page today's top two stories and why they matter every morning at seven ten. get what you need to know to start your day right now. Drama! It's all over the NFL. First off, Deshaun Watson actually showed up at Texans training camp. Who'd have thought that would happen? But he wants everyone to know that he still wants to be traded. He just didn't want to pay the mandatory $50,000 a day fine that he would have had to pay if he skipped out on camp. Is anyone going to trade for him? The Texans seem like they're open to trading him, but I don't know. Is anybody going to trade for him? He hasn't hasn't been criminally charged. But he's got, what, 19 different women who have alleged he was inappropriate during massages, and those civil lawsuits remain outstanding. Would anybody trade for him? I think somebody would think about it. The The real problem, I think, is would he accept the trade to said team? Because he still has the no-trade clause, which is, I think, a big weapon in his favor, meaning that he gets to pick wherever he ends up going next. So that makes it a little bit more difficult because Houston, I'm sure, would love to take on Philadelphia's package of draft picks that they currently have. So, yeah, I I, I don't think that we're going to end up seeing that. And also, it does seem like since the league office didn't put Watson on the commissioner's exempt lists and that we saw uh, the prosecuting attorney, Busby, be so critical of the interviews that were done by the NFL and their investigation, maybe that means that we're not going to see Watson face any of the wrath of the redheaded hammer until there's like a real decision that's made here right now only one 
the 23 civil lawsuits has been, I guess, taken care of. Uh, also, Chandler Jones said that he wants a trade, essentially, in as many words. He may not show up to Cardinals training camp. And remember, that's a guy who, towards the end of 2019, had four sacks in a game against the Seattle Seahawks. And then, in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams decided to post simultaneously on, st- on their Instagram accounts pictures of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen as if some sort of last dance is taking place in Green Bay. Though, you know, those two actually won They had six rings between them. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have one ring between them. And it's it's Rodgers' ring. Not they had 12, 12 rings between them. They'd won three straight titles. The circumstances might be a little bit different. Just a little bit. It's fun to sit back and watch Green Bay burn, though. The front page. Available relief pitcher. Game worn. As is. Must have a high tolerance for base runners allowed. Patience when it comes to blown leads. And you absolutely have to provide pickup. You have you have to provide transportation. He's available. Sitting out front, Edgar and Dave. Rafael Montero. Uh, take him away if you would like to because he has been designated for assignment by the Seattle Mariners. About time. And while I feel for him being the punching bag that he had been, it was because of just disastrous performance after disastrous performance. And I know that there's an argument to be made that he wasn't lucky Scott Service even said that after he talked about the move this weekend. But they had to do something, and it's about time they did. And I'm thankful they did. They actually made the move that was necessary, and we'll see if Casey Sadler ends up being a better arm. Also have a little bit... the. The Kraken made their first dr- pick in the NHL amateur player draft. They took Maddie Beniers. Mm-hmm. Maddie Beniers was the number two overall pick coming out of Michigan, and it sounds like he wasted no time taking a shot uh, at our beloved Seahawks, saying that he was a pack a Patriots fan. So he really appreciated. He really liked the Seahawks because they gave the Patriots a Super Bowl. Yeah, didn't, uh, didn't appreciate that. That's that's not the that's not the best. Was way not to appreciated. Start off. Yep. Yeah. Not the best way to start off. Not not appreciated so much, but we'll see. Maddie Beniers. Don't expect to see him with the Kraken this year. It's probably a couple years down in the in advance in the down the road before we'll see him uh, putting on the sweater for the Kraken. That is front page news. Let's get to the professor because there's a lot happening. A lot happening in the NFL. Our morning drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything Everything. NFL NFL. from the professor, John Clayton. Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Professor, we saw Deshaun Watson, Texans quarterback, show up for training camp yesterday because he does not want to pay his fines that he would have to pay every single day for missing camp, $50,000 a day. But it also feels like he sort of is giving away that leverage of, I guess, potentially being able to force a trade unless Houston has decided already that they're finally going to make a move and, and potentially deal him somewhere. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I think probably what ended up happening is that they told him that we'll shop you. And so with that in mind, you know, he came to camp. Now, what's going to be interesting to see is what he does in camp because he could take the position. It's like, hey, I'm not going to do anything. It's like uh, <clears throat> I don't want, really want to be with you guys. But he didn't want to get the fines. And I think you can see from the league standpoint, you know, with nothing being done anywhere close on the uh, cases with the 22 women 
that are suing him because, again, he's not going to be deposed until February 22nd of next year. Cases are going to be from May until July, most likely, uh, that now the league in a case like this where there's no legal charge coming from the police is that uh, they'd rather wait to see what happens in the case in the court as opposed to that, that they're not going to put him on the exempt list. So at least it keeps him in play for a trade. But here's the thing that's going to make it tough. It sounds like they're asking for the equivalent of five first-round picks or three first-round picks and two good starters and stuff like that. And that may raise the price of what is going to go and hold things back. And it's not like there's a lot of teams looking for quarterbacks. I mean, obviously, Denver uh, theoretically would consider it, but you wonder with the women – owners right now on that team what they would do but also they're in a state right now where the owners could uh, vanish and they may sell the team i would have to think we already know new uh, philadelphia is very interested and that might be an interesting option and i wouldn't be surprised even though i don't know if they can handle the cap number if the new orleans saints would get involved but overall it looks like uh you know watson now goes in which i don't think anybody thought that would happen but uh, now he's available in a trade it looks like we'll see if they can be one so you do think john you do think that there will be a there will be a team that if if he's if he's truly and not at the five player the five first round pick equivalent price but you think if it's say three first round picks do you think there's a team that will trade for him even with those cases unresolved well i don't know i mean the, the thing the problem with the three first round picks is that, I mean, you really can't go out past two years with first-round picks. You know, so, in other words, I mean, You're you can right. trade a first-round pick in 2022-2023, but until next year, you can't trade a 2024. So it's like, okay, so, uh, you know, that, that makes it tough. And, you know, the price may not be right for anybody to do it. But, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, now... Not that the league has given any guidance because they use, they don't on these situations, but the fact that uh, you know he's not going to probably go on the commission or exemplist this year, uh, you know that raises the possibility. To say maybe you can get something done. Like for example, you know if you're going to be the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, maybe you trade a Darius Slay. They just signed Steve Nelson at the cornerback position for about four million dollars. Maybe you trade a uh, you know one of the offensive linemen because they've got good offensive linemen. Maybe you trade one of their defensive linemen. So, I mean, there might be an accommodation, but now I do think, despite the fact that there's 22 socks, uh, uh, lawsuits for you know sexual uh, uh, contact and stuff of that nature, you know, uh, it may hold some teams back. But again, it's not like there's a lot of teams in there. But he's the fifth best quarterback in the league. Yeah, the one team to watch is is Philadelphia because Philadelphia has two first round picks in 2022, and it could be a third mm-hmm. depending on they've got. It's a second from Indianapolis that could upgrade to a first depending on how Carson Wentz plays. Right. Right. Yeah. They're 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 the team to watch when it comes to. I think most people think if and when Aaron Rodgers gets traded, it's probably to Denver. But Philadelphia is going to be right there in the middle of it if if Watson becomes available or any any other quarterbacks. John. Arizona, I think we all wondered how Chandler Jones was going to not he's going to be happy that J.J. Watt's there, but he's going to look at the money that they paid J.J. Watt and say, "Okay, how about a little of that for me? How how seriously do you think his his idea and threat of a holdout is? We'll find out tomorrow because tomorrow is when the Cardinals have to report and Wednesday's their first practice. And it sounds like he's very serious about it. So uh, we'll see. 
but uh, yeah, it's, and you know the fact that he's asked for a trade is not a good sign. And uh, you know because it's like, hey, I, I want out of here if you're not going to pay me, and they should pay him because he's had more sacks than anybody else uh, in the last several years. So uh, it's not a good situation. And that, that which, that's what you kind of wonder about with the uh, the Cardinals right now is that uh, you know they've had like five six players that have asked to be traded and most of them didn't get traded and you would imagine he's too good of a player to trade particularly if you're Arizona and you want to try to make a playoff run this year but also it's like I don't know if they're going to be able to pay him because they're going to have to pay him you know top dollar uh you know I don't know if it's going to be you know Joey Boza 27 million dollar numbers but uh and that's obviously going to be too much for what they want to do and too much for their cap but it's not a good situation and the thing I bring up about the Cardinals is that one of the things that I have to be a little critical of, not just with the Watt thing, but others, is how many older players they've brought in. You know, they brought in, you know, uh, and again, these are good players. I mean, J.J. Watt is a great player, Hall of Fame caliber player. Marcus Hudson, the center, is one of the better centers in the league. But, uh, you know, they brought in a lot of older guys. And a lot of times when you go old, I mean, you risk a lot of guys that could have injuries. Professor, what the heck's going on in Green Bay? They're going to have their shareholders meeting today. Both Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams got a little dramatic on social media. They posted pictures of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen from The Last Dance. (laughs) And then we also saw Zadarius Smith tweet on Friday, quote, I need a realtor in Green Bay ASAP. He downplayed it later as just looking for a house in the Green Bay area, but he's believed to be unhappy that the team converted some of his money to a guaranteed payment, so he's going to have a huge cap hit next year that's almost $30 million, and that means he might get cut. So what's going on here? you got a lot of unhappy Packers. Three of their best players aren't thrilled with the situation right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to really wonder about the general manager because, again, <clears throat> you got you know a lot of uh, disharmony and – even if all those guys are going to be there, and I would imagine there's not going to be any holdout by Zazaria Smith, but what you're looking at is that, and I, I can't understand how Zadarius could be upset about the fact that they needed to convert money into from signing bonus, uh, from base salary to signing bonus, because again, that you know, keeps you with the team and you don't lose any money, but also it doesn't gain you any money. But I, I just get the feeling that it's like uh, a lot of people just don't have a lot of trust in management there. And if that's going to be the case, it's, it's a bad situation. But the interesting part about, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, Chicago tweet that was done by uh, Adams and Rogers is that uh, even if they show up, this probably is the last dance. They're way over the cap for next year. They've got all kind of issues right now, you know, as far as uh, Adams, because, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that Adams is probably not going to sign a long-term deal, particularly with talks breaking up on Friday, if Rodgers isn't going to be there. And even if Rodgers shows up, I think the idea is he'll be traded next year. So it's a bad situation in Green Bay, which, of course, you know, that helps Seattle because, again, you know, it's like if it takes away from one of the teams that uh, they're going to be competing against to try to go to the Super Bowl and it pulls their Super Bowl value down, then I think that does help out the Seattle Seahawks. He is the professor. We get teams reporting, well, every day now, leading up to the Seahawks opening training camp on Wednesday. John, we appreciate it. We'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Okay, sounds good. That is John Clayton. You can hear him this afternoon with Wyman and Bob. Coming up next, the Seattle Mariners. They had 10 hits against the starting pitcher last time. What was his name? Kyle Seeger's not quite sure. We'll explain why the shade next.
You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We do have some breaking news in college football in that those rumors we talked about on Friday, the demise of the Big 12, Texas and Oklahoma saying, see ya, and going on to the SEC, it's done as Oklahoma and Texas have told the Big 12 they're not going to extend their grant of rights beyond 2024 and 2025, Danny. It's a long time in the future. I mean, that's you have this year and four more until we get to that point. Three more seasons until we get to that point. So it's it's four more counting this this upcoming season. The Big Twelve is not going to last that long. Though. No, like if they're like things are going things are going to change much quicker. It, it's not going to be soon enough for it to change this year. Schedules are already set, and you're going to play a final season. But I w- I would be surprised if the Big Twelve is next. The question here on the West Coast is is this putting pressure on the Pac twelve to expand? Mm-hmm. Do I, you think it is? I read a piece by John Wilner that was outlining why it wasn't these schools are not fits, but I really don't think that the Pac twelve is one that has a whole lot of cards to play here. I feel like they actually might have to act out of some sort of desperation. And what do you what do you get out of expanding your conference though? How does it improve your conference? In the SEC, the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas, it it adds two schools that fit to sort of the the overall how much that conference cares about football. It adds to the quality and you get to 16 teams. You should be able to negotiate a much bigger TV rights deal. You, everybody should get richer because of that. I'm not sure if that's the case in the Pac-12. Is adding Boise State, is adding Boise State and San Diego State and BYU and then somebody like Oklahoma State, does that make you a more valuable entity? Well, I, I would look at it more from this perspective. Is your conference good? And couldn't you use a talent influx seeing as things have gotten quite stagnant? Don't you want to make it perhaps so that you have a slightly Legitimate. better chance at getting to that to the to the college football playoff isn't that what it's all about well no it's not about it's about getting your school to the college football playoff it's not about getting getting your conference represented there what do i care as a washington fan if oklahoma state comes and gets ncaa tournament berths and bowl berths like why do why does that help me oklahoma state would be a huge addition in both sports it's it's a better that it would be better than your average Pac-12 team in both sports. Why do I care if they go to like they're not they're not a West Coast school? Okay, but but is that the really only reservation? Because there seems there seems to be a lot of territorial tribalism with the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, there probably is. But I guess I I would say that if if the if the conference isn't good enough to get there on, on its own, I don't know if bringing in another. I could see the argument that it will raise the revenue. Like it will make the conference more valuable, so you can afford better facilities and and thereby woo better recruits. But I'm not even sure if that's the case. I feel like you might be just keeping up with the Joneses and not really actually improving yourself, just making yourself some sort of weird geographic anomaly. There, there's this there's this line in the piece, and I thought Wilner made a lot of good points, but I I read this one that. Bigger is not better if it devalues the Pac-12 brand, and uh, quite honestly, the Pac-12 brand has close to little meaning. I, I would, I would, I would agree with you from that, and that's coming from someone I do love the Pac-12. I agree with you. Like devaluing the brand is not a valid argument against <laughs> right. expansion. The, the it's not, that is not one. That is not a valid argument. Danny Gallant, seven ten ESPN Seattle.
it was great to see the Mariners take three of four this weekend against Oakland. And specifically, it was really cool to see the Mariners get a little extra revenge, a little extra twist of the knife into one Cole Irvin yesterday. For those who don't remember, Cole Irvin, a starter for the A's, got absolutely shellacked by Seattle earlier this year. And he got mad, but his slashing out was not really at himself as much as it was at this Seattle team that had 10 hits on him. Really, a team like that, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of weak contact and and some swings that, you know, ended up being hits. But I think at the the end of the day, uh, you know, just pitch pitch execution needs to be a lot better. And a a team like that should not be putting up 10 hits against against me or or anyone. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm extremely disappointed in, in my efforts tonight. Team like that is a game and a half back of the Oakland days in the wild card race. It's also Cole Irvin. Yeah. It's also Cole Irvin. Do you have a right if you're Cole Irvin to be saying a team like that to anyone? No, you do not, Danny O'Neill. And that's why it was great to see the Mariners chase this guy after nine straight starts where he'd actually lasted into the sixth inning. This game, once again, it's the Mariners who, by the way, were the last team to force Cole Irvin out of a game early that did it yesterday. Kyle Seeger, after the game, was asked if Cole Irvin's comments provided any ammunition. And we'll get to Kyle Seeger's comments in a bit. So it wasn't just Kyle Seeger. We also heard from Tom Murphy when it came to responding to some of the things that Cole Irvin had to say. And I just think it's great that they were able to find a way to do this, here's Kyle Seeger. Kyle, did you had you guys talk, discussed Irvin's comments that he made after the, the last time you guys got ten hits off of him and some of the things he said about you post game? What happened? I'm sorry. Did you guys discuss <laughs> any of the comments as a team that Cole Irvin had uh, about you saying that he should never give up ten hits to a team like you guys? Um, did you guys talk about that at all? That that pitcher, the pitcher said that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know we'd faced him before. So yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> is that is that is that the best way? Is that the best way to respond to that? It's pretty good. And there's no, there is zero chance that Kyle Seeger didn't know exactly what he said and was unaware. Like there's zero. Like that was he planned that response, and it's one of those. It's like a comedian that plans out a bit and it goes perfectly. Like that could not have been delivered more pitch perfect. Is that? Is that a better response than going directly at Cole Irvin? I think that Tom Murphy's response was better because Tom Murphy used Cole Irvin's words from May against him. Honestly, we don't even remember facing him. Like, yeah, I mean, we came in today just like he was every other pitcher, and, you know, we treated him just like we would a pitcher like that. The pitcher like that. I like Seegers better. I like Seegers better. Seegers, when he said, what happened now? It's it's kind of like this is so insignificant it hadn't even reached my conscious. I, I wasn't even aware of it. Murphy's is good, but I think I think Seeger's is the better response. The dismissive nature, I like it with Seeger, but I, I feel like their if you, pitcher, if you can, the use, guy that just I didn't even know we'd faced him before. But Murphy's using his words <laughs> against him, which I think is I think it's a little bit better. Whatever the case, it was great to hear a little bit of razzing coming back from the Mariners, and I gotta say. Danny, this took place on Saturday. Remember when 
Mitch Haniger's at bat led to the wild pitches, and the Mariners end up walking off on that. And then they threw a white powder in Jared Kelnick's face, which it. I know it was talcum powder, but the optics of that should be considered in the future when Ty France is going to do that. Don't don't throw white powder at someone's face because it then will get stuck on their nose and create a much different impression than that which you're hoping to leave. The optics may have been considered. Anywho, I will say that Scott Service, after he made those comments about how Mitch Haniger might have intimidated uh, Trevino into getting the yips, A's manager Bob Melvin agreed about said intimidation, but he also said it took an oddity for them to score a run. What's up with this team? What's up with this A's team that loves to say, well, you know, it was flukish. I mean, this is now multiple times that they have done that this season. Cole Irvin, we also heard uh, on Sunday, they, they know how to put damage and score runners when they're in position to score, but he still says it was just embarrassing. Well, it wasn't as embarrassing as the last time you went out against the, the Seattle Mariners. Come on. I, I certainly thought Seattle should have expected to get 10 hits against a pitcher like that. Yeah. It was a little disappointing in that regard. It was just a two-out rally in which Cole Irvin could not get out of the third, which was absolutely fantastic. Like that. It's Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. We've been curious about how aggressive the Mariners will be at the trade deadline. We know they were interested in a man who was traded and that there's another guy that's still the apple of their eye. We'll talk about those two next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Timing matters. Mariners have taken three of four from the A's, the team that's closest to them that they're chasing in the division. They're now a game and a half back of Oakland, not just for second place, but for the second wild card. For the second wild card that's available, the Tampa Bay Rays are would be the first wild card. The, the, the A's are currently in position for the second. The Mariners are now a game and a half back of them. It also matters because of the timing. The, the end of the non-waiver trade deadline is July 31st. After that, trades can still be made. The guys have to clear waivers. But this is a point where teams make decisions. Are they in or are they out? And the question of whether the Mariners will be buyers or sellers, winning three of four against the team that you're chasing in the division, would certainly ramp up the hope and expectation in that clubhouse that there's going to be some help on the way. Here was Kyle Seeger asked kind of after the game if he'd like to see a, a decision made to add to this clubhouse rather than subtract. It's been preached this rebuild so much, but I mean, you know, we're we're right there on the edge of this thing. So certainly you would like to, you know, have them, you know, make moves and, you know, get the team as good as we possibly can. And, you know, I know me personally, I mean, good Lord, I'd like to make a run out of it. Can you blame him? He's been here all this time. Ten years. He's a ten-year vet who's been here. And Jerry DePoto has always indicated that they hope to add. They hope to add players that fit into, hey, we're going to continue winning. That this is not a, we're putting everything into winning in 2021. They want this to be the beginning of a window of contention, not a, a last gasp or a, hey, all, all our eggs go into this basket. Guys that will be added, we know that they were interested in Adam Frazier, middle infielder who went from Pittsburgh to San Diego. Now attention has shifted. Mark Feinsand um, and Dan Kramer of MLB.com, Dan who covers the Mariners specifically, have said Seattle's interested in pursuing Whit Merrifield, who pretty versatile player. 
for Kansas City, someone who is very speedy. speedy. He leads the American League in stolen bases. Uh, here's John Paul Morosi on that. Kind of a scouting report and the availability, what it would take to acquire Merrifield. One of my personal favorites to watch play is Whit Merrifield with, with Kansas City. And, and Whit is someone who gives you above average defense at multiple positions. He can play second. He can play right. If, of course, the Mariners probably wouldn't need him to play out there. But he's a right-handed bat who gets on base a ton, steals a bunch of bases. Uh, his aptitude for the game is extraordinary. Now, And his contract is affordable. For all those reasons... Kansas City does not want to trade him, mm. but it, but Seattle has probably one of the handful of farm systems where they can open up some conversations because of the amount of talent they've got in the, in the minor leagues. But what talent are they trading? And well, I know the first response to that tweet was some ridiculous Royals fan who was saying, well, we'll start with Julio Rodriguez, and, and everyone Twitter dunked on this person. But if it's not someone like that, if we're talking about good prospects, we're talking about someone in the same conversation as, uh, what, Noel V. Marte or nope. George Kirby or an Emerson nope. Hancock? Nope. There's five guys that are off the table for Whit Merrifield. And if any of these five guys were included in a trade for Whit Merrifield, and by the way, I don't think they'll have to be. Uh, I'll be. Kelnick, Rodriguez, Marte, Hancock, Kirby. None of those five guys can be in the deal for, for Merrifield. Merrifield's not not a good enough player to warrant that. Even though he's on a pretty affordable contract and he would address a position that you don't have a clear answer for the future, Merrifield's not a good enough player to warrant one of those guys with a true... The, the, each of those guys has, has true star trajectory potential. Doesn't mean they'll reach it, but you do not want to give up a, a guy who could turn into a star for someone who is a, a good fit at a position of need. I'm with you there, but... What if you don't have anything that the Royals want? And why would the Royals give up Merrifield if he has the contract that he does and plays the defense that he does? Luis Torrance. I fully expect Luis Torrance to get traded. And I think that he is actually a valuable trade ship, even for a team like Kansas City, who would be looking because of the position he plays, because of his age, and specifically for the Mariners. What's his role for you going forward? That's a good question. He's not going to be your catcher, right? That's Cal Raleigh, who is here in the big leagues. And right now it's it's Raleigh and Murphy that are alternating there. And Luis Torrens is, is playing some DH for you. Designated hitter, I guess. That's the best spot for him. But is he even going to have that definitively? He's he certainly hit well enough recently to warrant being there. He's got a huge... Yeah. That would be an example of a guy that has improved his value here recently mm-hmm. that you could see moving. Packaging him together with a couple of low, of lower-level prospects. And by lower-level, I don't mean, hey, guys that are way off in sw- single-A or people that are... But guys who, who have some potential and guys that could move. You can't... Whit Merrifield is not the kind of pitcher or not the kind of... Second baseman, you, that's not a player that you trade one of your upper-tier prospects for. Herman Marquez is someone that you would think harder about that. I'm still taking the top three off. Kelnick, Rodriguez, certainly are not going. And Noel Ve Marte, I'm, I'm not going to include for a deal for Herman Marquez. But if you're going to if you're going to trade someone like Hancock or Kirby, who are farther away but have that kind of top-shelf potential, you have to be getting a guy that's going to be a, – a rock for you right now. He, you have to be getting a guy that that is going to significantly improve your team right now and going forward. Whit Merrifield makes your team better. 
and and it's someone they should pursue, but it's not that sort of hey, g- give up, give up a, a future potential star for this guy. Would a package involving Taylor Trammell? Would you think that would make Kansas City interested? Because I'm not sure Torrens would, uh, even though he has been really awesome of late. I I would be hey, I I need to see way more than this. To if there's a team that's interested in Trammell, absolutely, I'm willing to talk about that. If there's a team that's interested in Trammell and Torrens, there's a- absolutely. And there and there are tons of other players that are that, but you don't you don't give up you don't give up a future potential star for for someone like Whit Merrifield who is a good but not a great. I don't know if you would have done it for Adam Frazier. I don't know if you would have done it for Adam Frazier. And Frazier is a better player than than Whit Merrifield. He has one year less signed. He's through the end of this season and next year. I mean, Adam Frazier's leading the National League in hits, and the fact that the Mariners were involved in that. And that the Mariners were not asking or seeking for the Pirates to carry any of the freight on his contract is a really good sign for how aggressive Seattle looks to be. Definitely means they'd want to spend. I do wonder what the actual offer was. How serious of an offer was it? Or was it something that was put out there to say, hey, take it or leave it, with the idea that maybe Pittsburgh wasn't going to... um, Sounds like it was competitive. If they're not asking, if they're not asking the Pirates to to shoulder, if they're not asking the Pirates to shoulder salary, like that means that that's a that's a serious offer. That they weren't they weren't looking so. Hey, if you're not going to do anything with this guy, would you mind passing him along? I would I would be surprised if it was any one of those top five. I'd be surprised if it was that because again, Frazier's someone with four home runs and just the. What you expect to get out of him, he's got one year after this one. He's closer to a rental than Whit Merrifield, but still not a rental. Be surprised if it was any of those fights, but the fact that they weren't talking about any sort of salary is a really promising sign. And Kyle Seeger making that statement of, hey, you hear a lot about the rebuild and and keeping the door open for the future. They are opening that door. It's creating the possibility that that is opening sooner rather than later. And that you might be able to kick the door open if you make a big addition this year. It is Danny and Gallant. We got Brock here joining us. There's a lot happening around the NFL. And the Seahawks, surprisingly drama-free, will get his take on that as well as Jamal Adams. And whether the lack of a deal so far is a concern, that's next.